So we are really traveling through the book of Acts. In Acts 18, Jesus has sent Paul, Timothy, and Silas to the city of Corinth. In Corinth, they've gone into the synagogue, shared who Jesus is as the Jewish Messiah, caused some upheaval there where he gets kicked out of the synagogue. They go right next door. And again, people are responding to the gospel in this community. Paul was there for a year and a half. He's, he has relationships with real human beings there, families, individuals. He's there working alongside of uh, Aquila and Priscilla as a tent maker, providing for his own means there. So as, we, as we're in Acts, uh, we're pausing each one of the communities where Paul has turned around and written a letter to those communities. We're pausing just to get deeper flavor of those relationships. And we know through, you know, First and Second Corinthians, we know a lot more about his relationship with the Corinthians. But after he left, um, his relationship became unhealthy. And the unhealthiness of that relationship with the Corinthian church came from um, divisions within the body. And those divisions coming from people's opinions on who Paul ought to be or who Apollos ought to be or who the community leaders, what, what they liked, what they didn't like. These are the divisions that are welling up. So 2 Corinthians is uh, really probably his fourth letter to this church. This is after a letter of rebuke that he sent to the church that caused them pain and sorrow, but most of the church repented in a godly way. There's been a lot of restoration. Paul is getting ready to come back into this community, and he's preparing them for his arrival. And one of the main aspects of this is he's still using some harsh language because there's many in this community that still have, that are still causing division and have problems with Paul. And as Paul is addressing them, he's telling them essentially to check their hearts and their relationship with Jesus as Paul is checking his heart. So I give all this as background because the last four chapters of Corinthians, so we're going to do chapters 10 and 11 today. Uh, next week we'll do 12 and 13 and finish it up. This, this whole last section, Paul is really drilling down and defending himself in relationship with those who are standing in opposition to him. So we're going to read through, straight through two chapters here and get context. And we'll back it up and talk about what the Lord has laid on my heart this morning. So... 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, I'm of no account, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be a to be bold against some, again, speaking directly to his opponents in this community, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your, when your obedience is fulfilled. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, 
Let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, with which the Lord gave us for edification, for your building up, and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. For we dare not class ourselves, categorize ourselves, or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise, literally without understanding. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which the Lord appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. Not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, pretty much as you grow in Christ, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. Oh, that you would bear with me a little folly, literally with a little madness. It's going to get a little crazy. And indeed, you do bear with me. I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. It's his fear. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles, and the imagery here is kind of, kind of picture a, you know, the Superman emblem on the chest of these guys that are puffing themselves up in, in Corinth. Paul saying, I am not inferior. I don't lack. I'm not missing um, anything in regards to what these people are, are proclaiming. Verse 6, even though I am untrained in speech, literally common in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Now, remember, he's had, he's had an extended relationship personally with these men and women. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted? Because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge. I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, 
No one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is of no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose ends will be according to their works. Remember, he's getting kind of crazy with his speech, being very direct. I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I, may also, that I may boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were, foolishly, in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I, will also, I also will boast. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. Hear the language, lots of sarcasm here. For you put up... With it, if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face, to our shame, I say that we are too weak for that. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they, are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. And labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. Listen to this resume. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Can you imagine all the adults in this room having your back exposed publicly and having another adult whip you 39 times? Can you imagine? That happened to Paul five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils literally in dangers, in dangers of waters, in dangers of robbers, in dangers of my own countrymen, in dangers of the Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the wilderness, in dangers in the sea, in dangers among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things which come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble, cause to sin, and I do not burn with indignation. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Eretus, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes. Damascenes, with a garrison desiring to arrest me. 
But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. And we're going to kind of pause right in mid-thought there. He's going to continue on where Jesus responds to him as, as he's praying. And can you imagine sitting in all these troubles in your life? You're going to be seeking the Lord. You're going to be asking him to remove these, to give you freedom. Jesus' response to Paul was that his grace was sufficient for him. That in Paul's weaknesses, the Lord was going to demonstrate his strength and his power in Paul's life. But as we sit in this, he just gave this, it seems kind of weird and out of place where he's talking about his escape from Damascus. I've titled this morning's message, Appearance, because he is addressing his opponents and asking them the question there in chapter 10, do you judge things according to the outward appearance? And again, it's a rhetorical question. And the answer, unfortunately, for every single one of us is, yeah, all of us have stereotypes. Every single one of you, the first time that you met me or the first time you meet anybody else, we call them first impressions. And there's, it's based upon outward appearance. It's based upon what I look like. It's based upon how I communicate. It's based upon how I acted. There's these first impressions, good, bad, or indifferent, but much of it's based upon the outside. Because relationship takes a long time. It is when I just first meet you, I'm not going to sit across the table from you and know your soul inside and out. I'm going to have impressions. I'm going to have prejudices based upon past experiences with other people. So do we make judgments based upon outward appearances? And we have to say, yes, we do. Now, Paul is trying to correct that in them, just like we need to have that corrected in us as we interact with one another's brothers and sisters in the church especially, but even as we interact with other human beings, not just to make a judgment based upon what's on the outside because all of human history, we present our, we put our best foot forward we show you know, our best behavior in public, and so often what's going on behind the closed doors of a home is the exact opposite of what's being portrayed publicly, and that's just human life. But for Paul, this word appearance is what I want to pause on because Paul is defending himself and how he's appeared to this community, both physically and then in people's judgments. We need to apply that in our own lives, in our own relationships, and just in the context that we have. But this word appearance, this is is the moment where Paul's life was radically transformed when he's talking about this experience in Damascus. Because Paul was this man, Saul, who we're told in the book of Acts in chapter 9 that he was making havoc of the church. And the imagery of that word havoc, it's, it's a boar that's out in a farm field tearing up the ground. And in our culture, we'd say it, it, Paul was like a bull in the china closet in regards to his relationship with the church. Paul was a man who was blinded by his own appearance that he was trying to portray that in the community that he was a part of. He was blinded in regards to other people's testimony of who Jesus was. He was blinded about the appearance of what Christians were doing as they were bending the knee to this man, Jesus of Nazareth, as the Messiah. He, was, he had an opinion of what was going on on the outside that was contrary to truth. 
And for Paul, his, his life experiences, he had Jesus appear to him. And on that road to Damascus, as he's going to arrest Christians, as he's going to help Christians deny Jesus is his goal, Jesus himself reveals himself, this, this glorious light on this road. And he's struck down, but he hears these words, why are you persecuting me? And who are you? I am Jesus. And Paul has to sit in that blindness. We have that story in, in the book of Acts in chapter 9. When the Lord sends Ananias to lay hands on Paul for him to receive his sight, we watch Paul after, you know, three days of fasting, sitting in that, sitting in those relationships, processing through his life, processing through what has just occurred in his life through who Jesus is. He receives his sight, he's baptized, and in that, we're told that Jesus tells Ananias that Paul is going to suffer many things for Jesus' name's sake. And as we, uh, yesterday in the, in the men's breakfast, as we gathered on Zoom, uh, the, the overarching topic was in regards to the name, the name of God, the name of Jesus. The na- his name, is, it's his character, it's his heart, it's his mind. His name is who he has manifested himself to be according to his definition, not according to our definitions. But Paul, from the very beginning of his ministry, he was told that he was going to suffer many things for Jesus' name's sake. So even here, he's just gone through the list of all the things that he suffered, not because he chose this path on his own. He willingly kept going this path because Jesus was directing them down this path. But he's going through this list of everything that he has suffered for Jesus' namesake. And he goes back to that very first experience when he immediately begins preaching Jesus as the Messiah in the synagogues at Damascus. Persecution welled up against him there. And again, this is, uh, it seemed to be a very... uh, uh, kind of tuck your tail, hide and run, shameful behavior to do, to have to be let out of a city wall in a wicker basket as you're hiding from people who are mad at you for saying that Jesus is, is the Messiah. So here, Paul is, is uh, you know, it's for me, he's returning back to just his roots in the Lord of who he was before, of that appearance to Jesus in his life. And as he's given a defense to him about himself, to those who are coming against him, um, he's bearing testimony like this is the calling that Jesus handed to me. And in that calling and in that relationship, I've said, yes, Lord. So again, Paul is continually uh, defending himself against his opponents here in Corinth. Go back to the very beginning of chapter 10, because as we talk about these outward appearances, the first, the, first, um, the first idea that he's conveying as I'm, I'm pleading with you by who Jesus Christ is, as in his humility, in his gentleness, in his mercy, in Jesus' compassion, I'm, I'm begging you to have a change of mind. So in a lot of what is seen that he is bringing up here and what's going on culturally, is that there is a pattern um, of outward appearance of how people ought to communicate publicly. And Paul doesn't communicate in that matter, so it seems that they're, they're tearing him down in regards to all of these areas. But Paul brings up this whole idea of, of warfare. 
In verse 3, he says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. We don't battle. We don't fight according to the flesh. And he uses all this language. The weapons are tools of the battle in which we are engaged. Now, again, this is where we're going to sit in this word appearance, because appearance, so much of, as we pass judgment on circumstances and people, it's what's going on inside of our mind. The tools of our warfare, they're not carnal, they're not fleshly, but they're mighty. They have a power in God for a purpose, for what? To tear down fortresses, for casting down arguments, reasoning that's against every, uh, you know, casting down these, these reasonings that in every high things, you know, that's uh, puffing up, arrogance, pride, uh, whether you're, you know, Paul sat in all of these thought processes as a, as a Pharisee puffed up. Again, he had all these things torn down in his own life that was exalting itself against the, tr- the knowledge of God, of who God really is, of who he's revealed himself to be, and not human religious ideas. We are to bring every thought into captivity. Literally, you know, it's, it's using this soldier language that you're going to arrest your thoughts and bring those things into captivity, into obedience, into compliance of Jesus. And this idea of being ready to punish Granting justice to all disobedience. Disobedience being the idea of I'm, I'm unwilling uh, to hear what you have to say. And this, it's kind of a weird sentence. It's being ready to, uh, to punish all disobedience when your, your obedience is fulfilled. It's seen as Paul's excessive grace and mercy and patience with those who are standing in opposition to them, to him. He is repeatedly giving them the opportunity to have a change of mind, to be reconciled with God through Christ, to be reconciled with him through Christ, um, that they would be obedient. And then when he arrives, that those who are still in disobedience would be punished. Now here's, I want you to hold your place there. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 really quick. Because clearly, when you talk about spiritual warfare, we are talking about just the battle in our minds. There's a spiritual environment in which we exist that we are blind to unless the Lord reveals things to us, what's going on behind the scenes. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is encouraging the Ephesian church, and he says, finally, brethren, this this is where your strength comes from. Strength comes from the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And he's given this same soldier imagery. Put on the whole armor of God for the purpose that you may be able, that you'll have the power to stand against the wiles, the schemes, the lies, the deceptions, the activity of the devil. And we have to confess just in our lives, you know, we don't, for the most part, we don't live in this outlandish, demonic spiritual world that's just throwing up into our lives every day. The battlefield is occurring on the level of our minds, our thoughts. So we're not to be ignorant of how Satan lies, of how he deceives, of how he divides, of how he separates, of how he steals, of how he kills. We are told to be strong in who Jesus is, In the power of his might, we are to put on the whole armor of God, being able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the adversary. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against these principalities, these powers, these rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And you read through that sentence, and it's super weird because we don't have a perception of this spiritual world unless the Holy Spirit gives us discernment in regards to what's going on. But the weapons to engage in this warfare that's going on in the spiritual world, in our minds, in our hearts, we're given this list of things. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all the stand. Stand, therefore, having your waist girded with truth. Now, the emphasis, you know, he's given us some military imagery, the equipment of a Roman soldier of the day, but the emphasis is upon some specific terms, which is truth. If you want to guard your mind against all the appearances that are presented to you from other people, from your own mind, from your own perceptions, we need to stand, we need to be girded with truth. Jesus himself is truth. His word is truth. We sit in a culture, in a climate where I have a very hard time discerning whether people are telling me the truth or they're lying and manipulating me. And it's super frustrating until I just turn my mind and my heart back to the truth of who Jesus is. And then I feel that freedom because I'm standing in who he is. You are in control. The breastplate of righteousness. Again, it's not our own righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus. It is the righteousness of God. He gives to us something that we do not have uh, without him. Righteousness is received by faith. Righteousness is in right standing before God. Jesus has died for our sins. We are to stand in his truth. We are clothed in his righteousness. We are a new man. We are a new woman. We are a new creation in Christ. We've put away the old things. And as I am engaged in whatever this warfare is, breastplate protected by the righteousness of Christ. Again, sit in Paul's testimony of all of his resume that we just walked through. And the entire time, whether he was getting beat physically or not, he was still clothed with the breastplate of righteousness. The feet, your feet shod the preparation of the gospel of peace. We're to know what the gospel is, the good news about who Jesus Christ is, that our God has died for our sins that he rose again from the dead, that through faith in Jesus, we are now a new creation. We are now alive. We have a relationship with him. He abides in us. He's given us a future and a hope. There's coming a day when he is going to come and rule and reign, and we are going to see him. Can't wait. The good news of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith. this, This whole idea, I believe in Jesus, which means I trust him. I am confident in him that as these darts are coming into my life, these fiery darts that the the wicked one is sending into my mind and my heart and my life, I'm going to remain in faith in regards to who Jesus Christ is. Um, I don't remember who the quote is. I don't remember if it's Spurgeon or Luther. He said that uh, we can't do anything about a bird flying over our head, but we can do something about the bird trying to create a nest, right? Where we can't do anything about the thoughts that just fly through our minds. And we all know what these thoughts are. 
Somebody cuts you off and all of a sudden you want that person dead. Now that may not be your specific circumstance, but every single one of us to one degree or another takes pleasure in imagining violence against other people. I mean, just, just that simple thing when somebody makes us angry. We, sometimes we can't do anything about that thought that just whizzes across our mind. And then we look at the Lord and say, Lord, that's not from you. That is a thought from Satan. That's a thought from my flesh. Cleanse me. Give me your peace. Give me your truth about this person that you need to save because they're going to die if they keep driving the way that they're driving. Those kinds of ideas. Take the helmets, our minds, our heads, the helmet of salvation. Again, understanding, do you know, do you know what Jesus has saved you from? When I sit in that idea radically transforms me in the moment, radically transforms the appearance somebody is, you know, giving off to me and I want to do whatever. You know, when I realize what Jesus has saved me from, who am I to judge you? Who am I to criticize and critique you? You're the Lord's servant, and I am here to help you be the best servant of the Lord you can possibly be, and you're here to help me be the best servant that I can be together. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, our only offensive weapon. You sit in the, you can sit with Jesus as he's being tempted by the devil, as he is engaged in spiritual warfare out in this wilderness, in his weakness, in his flesh. Here comes the enemy. How does Jesus respond to the adversary? Sword of the Spirit responds with the Word of God. And again, this doesn't need to be some Spiritual warfare can get really weird really quick in different contexts. Um, but there is just the simple truth of the word of God and its power to diffuse and disarm the enemy and his activities in our life. And a lot of this comes out of conversation, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. We need to have an ongoing conversation with God, talking to him about these things. Now, I bring up all of these ideas here from Ephesians 6. Turn back to 2 Corinthians 10. Because as Paul is addressing his opponents in his community, in the, in the Corinthian community, he's addressing their minds. They've been listening to the lie. And then not only here at the beginning, later on, as he talked about um, that he is jealous for them with a godly jealousy, that he uses his cultural imagery as a father betroths his daughter to a husband in this culture. He is looking at them like as a father with his daughter, I have betrothed you and I want to present you as a chaste virgin in purity and holiness to your groom, which is Jesus. And again, just the, the imagery that that provides to us. But in verse 3, chapter 11, this is Paul's fear that somehow, just as the serpent deceived Eve, so God the Father presented the chaste virgin Eve to Adam that he created, right? The imagery. So sit in that same imagery. But the enemy, the serpent, the devil, Satan, the dragon, was in this garden, and what was he doing? He was lying. 
And it wasn't these deep, outlandish, devilish, wicked, dark, ooh, scary lies. It was simply questioning, why do you need to do what God tells you to do? Did God really say that? Is that what you're supposed to No, God's withholding pleasure from you. So you sit in the serpent's lies to Eve in the garden, and you watch the destruction that happened not only just in Adam and Eve's life, but in all of humanity, because through their sin, death came. And this death is what Jesus has saved us from. Paul is using that same imagery to wake up those who are standing in opposition, that your minds, you are just like Peter. When Peter confronts Jesus and says, far be it from you, you are not going to die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. The thoughts of your mind and your heart, those are sourced from Satan. They are not sourced from your Father in heaven. And so often the thoughts that we have in regards to our spouses, to our children, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to unbelievers in this world, so often those thoughts that we meditate on, they become our words which are sourced from Satan and not sourced from Jesus. Those words, those thoughts, they, they, um, they are the background and the motivation for our behavior. Again, we can, we can sit on the outside of somebody that we're perceiving, the, like their appearance, they are absolutely insane as they're acting out in this behavior. And it's because you have clarity of thought. You know who Jesus is, you have his truth, you have his righteousness, you have his salvation, you know and understand the gospel, you are in relationship with God, so as you're observing this person that is acting insane, you know that their behavior is sourced from this deceiver, this wickedness. They're buying into the lie. And Paul is confronting these opposers in Corinth that your, behavior, your mind, the thoughts that you're thinking, they're sourced from the devil, not from God. And that ought to be a tremendous wake-up call. And he continues to go on. In verse 13 here, he calls them false apostles. That was Paul. He was false. A deceitful worker, a treacherous worker, making themselves to be something in the body of Christ that... Jesus didn't make him. No wonder why Satan attempts to transform himself all the time as, as an angel of light, that he is, his source is the purity and holiness of God, which is totally false. And again, think about receiving this letter if you were the one that was standing in opposition to Paul. His, his ministers, Satan's ministers, they transformed themselves into ministers of righteousness. I talked to... Uh, uh, my pastor from Salt Lake called me this week. He was asking some other questions on other things, but we're catching up. How's it going? And, you know, I let him know about, about Lincoln, that, you know, we've, we finally, the Lord has brought us a youth pastor. And, you know, for him, he immediately goes into his history of youth pastors. He's had a lot of doozies in the sense of he's had a lot of division in his own congregation over time with unhealthy relationships with people proclaiming to be one thing and they're really another. 
And as we're talking, you know, he's, he's, it's, it's things that he can laugh at now, but it's things that cause pain in his life. It's things that cause pain in the congregation's life. You know, worship team is the other thing. I sit here and I, I praise God for Jeremy and his leadership. And you have Chris that's part of it and Greg that's part of it and their brides. I don't have to be here on Thursday nights. I don't have to be here on Sunday mornings. I don't have to come up here and micromanage them and dictate what they need to do, how they ought to do it, because every single one of these individuals is aimed at Jesus. Do you know how freeing that is? That is so freeing that all of these individuals are called and appointed by God. And I have that same trust with Lincoln. I just, I only know him this much. But based on the testimony that I've received about him, of, about who he's been in history, as I look at all of our prayers and then the confirmation that God has given to us, that this is a door that we are to walk through in faith and trust, I am demonstrating a tremendous amount of trust that that young man is going to serve Jesus in the lives of your children. And that is not something that I take lightly at all because the constant testimony for the last 2,000 years in the body of Christ is these false workers. People coming in, doing their own thing. Having on the outside all of the appearance. They look the part. They sound the part. They preach the part. They walk the part. Publicly, their appearance is a 10. Fabulous. But what does time do? Oh, time is a revealer. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the, those things that we think about, those are the things that we're going to do. So, therefore, the, the exhortation out of this whole passage is who are you listening to? What, what, what appearance is um, attractive to you? So when you look at a body of Christ, when you look at our congregation, it's easy to see things that are really appealing on the outward, and it's easy to see some of the gaps in those kinds of things, those things that are unappealing on the outward. But when you really start digging into the relationships of, the, of all of the individuals that the Lord has brought here, you start sitting in context after context after context. You start to praise God for every single human soul that's here. You are all extremely different from me. When I look at you, you guys are super weird. But that's comforting because I know when you look at me, I'm weird. Like to me, to you, I'm the odd duck. When I look at you, you're the odd duck. But you're odd. You, how God has created you. I don't just get a look at you on the surface. I get to start, as I have a relationship with you, I get to start understanding what makes you tick. What makes you cry. What do you worry about? What are you afraid of? What are you excited about? What's God doing with your life? I love all the different testimonies about who Jesus has been to you in the past, who he is to you today, how you're hoping about him in the future. But all of this, again, it's easy to get in a, an environment of people and to play a game of appearances, to put on a show. And again, I praise that we don't have, we don't have any of those problems here. And I'm, I'm thankful to God for that and continue to pray for that, that who we are publicly is who we're going to be behind the scenes. And again, we're all in transformation. Been having a lot of conversations with people. I'm not the same guy that I was eight years ago when I first showed up here. And Gordon says, praise God. <laughs> but you're not the same person when I first met you either. The pleasure it has been 
to watch Jesus appear to you and appear in you and appear through you is one of the most fabulous human experiences um, ever. I get to watch Jesus and my wife. I get to watch Jesus and my kids. I get to watch Jesus and my parents. I get to watch Jesus, his appearance. And I see and I hear Satan attempt to twist things every single day. I feel that temptation when, when you do something that I think is a little bit off. I hear all those words from Satan about, oh, I'll just cut them off, remove them. You know, just all those kinds of things. And no, that's not who Jesus is. I make mistakes all the time. He is faithful and just to cleanse me. He is faithful and just to equip me. He loves me. And that love compels me to stand in his appearance, in his image. Again, that's the correction that Paul is attempting to have these individuals just think about your thoughts for a minute. That person that you're struggling with, that idea, whatever it may be, that thing that you're struggling with right now, is that the enemy's voice churning or is that your Lord's voice churning? And if it's our Lord's voice churning, he's going to direct you down his path of righteousness in reconciliation in that relationship and how to pray, whatever that may look like. And there may be a result that he's going to provide tomorrow, and it might not be for a decade. But he is faithful, so we continue to trust him. So our holy worship team that is filled with the Spirit of God, come on up here. Let me, t- let me tell you, for those of you who don't know, When the worship team gathers here on Thursday nights, Jeremy started this pattern. It's his fault. You know what they sit around and do first? They pull around these chairs and they go through the group. What's going on? How can we pray for you? So the importance and the priority isn't a performance. It's on people. That Jesus is created, that Jesus is saved. And then we take those relationships and let's do something together. And it takes a lot of work and energy, rehearsal, behind the scenes, preparation. I still remember, first time I played bass guitar, I was more nervous to play a bass guitar up here than I was to speak. And I hate public speaking, just so you know. But this this is a microcosm of just what the beauty that Jesus does. Uh, can do, has done, is doing in our own community. The testimony of the home fellowships, the three home fellowships from Friday night, I can't, I can't thank God any more than just uh, um, the relationships that are being forged through that process. I love it. Anyways, now I'm just yam- yammering. Heavenly Father, we love you tremendously. And beyond anything, we are asking for your appearance. Just as Paul ran into you on that Damascus road, Lord, we want to have those daily encounters with you. We want to see you active in our lives. We want to see and know the invisible God. Manifest yourself to us. Make yourself visible in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, through your word, through our brothers and sisters, through the circumstances of life, Lord. Let us see your appearance. Let us judge in truth 
and in righteousness and in purity according to the gospel of peace. We're following you, Lord, because we love you, because you've called us. We trust you. Even when our lives look like the circumstance of Paul, I can't imagine that man's life, Lord. But he followed you because your grace is sufficient. So I'm praying for every soul in this room right now, Lord, for those listening online. Let them see you. Let them be overwhelmed by you. Let them be transformed by you. Let them trust you. Let them receive blessing from you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray.